0: Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at RoastHousePub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 71, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. This is the third attempt at uh, recording this episode, so I can say without a doubt it's going to go perfect this time. And from the Baltimore Whiskey Company, we have co-founder Max Lentz in the studio for the second time.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: And I notice Eli is not with you.
1: Eli is not with me. Um, still surviving in a cave of barrels at the old distillery.
0: So you think? are you going to move him over, leave him locked in the old we're one? Gonna,
1: yeah, we're going to send him on the truck with the barrels and just pallet jack him off in the new place.
0: That'll make it easy for him. doesn't mm-hmm. have to find a ride no 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 so speaking of the um the new location how's how's the union collective moving along
1: oh man it's uh coming at us like a freight train it's happening we are about to pour our brew floor um which is great that that actually the the prep work on that starts this week we have dug um all of the wells for our geothermal system which i'm not sure if we talked about that or not last i don't think we talked
0: on air i think after we wrapped up, you were excited because they I were going to still. come and evaluate whether or not you were going to be able to. So, so we were about do to do
1: our test well. Um, well, the test well was a success. We struck water. Um, and we hit enough water that basically greenlit the project. So the new distillery, all the process side cooling, of which there's a lot in distilling, you have to cool your mash. And more importantly, during distillation, you, your condenser has to constantly cool down the steam production Uh to get your alcohol to come out as liquid. Um, all of that cooling will be done with uh, groundwater, will be heat exchanged with groundwater. And
0: that's like what, 50 some degrees? 54, or okay.
1: yeah, 54 year round. And we'll be moving about 100 gallons a minute out of the water table through a heat exchanger with our reserve tank, uh, and then putting it back down in the water table through injection wells, um, kind of at the other end of the, the lot, because all these okay. things are out kind of near the parking lot. Um, so it's actually lossless for the water table. It oh, doesn't, awesome. doesn't change the volume at all, and the actual heat exchange is like a drop in the bucket because it's such a massive the vast va-
0: volume egg, of it. It's
1: just an ocean of water under there. So um, it's pretty cool, and it's a really awesome system.
0: So besides, uh, I imagine one huge benefit and reason for doing that is the green aspect of it. That very,
1: yeah, good for the environment. Chillers are very energy intense. Um, we would have had to donate basically an entire extra electrical box to power the chiller we would need um and so and this you know running the geothermal system only takes a couple of small pumps you know very very uh light on energy use uh comparatively um so you're in you know there's both cost savings as well as saving the world savings it's kind of so you can feel good
0: from every angle yeah uh, well, is Union doing anything like that too? Or is um,
1: Union is doing their own thing, but beer cooling is different. You really yeah, require a chiller because you have to crash cool a yeah, lot faster than we do. So 54 degree water is not nearly cold enough. Oh, yeah, because
0: they run through a glycol within. Because it, yeah, yeah. it has to drop. Super way fast. intense
1: temperature drops in, in brewing.
0: So the, um, you have that going? Have they, Have they started to do anything with, with that yet or do you have to do your brew for floor first
1: uh well the the wells are dug okay so we've got six wells on site already dug um i will be personally sawing some asphalt across the parking lot to prep for uh one of the trenches here in the next couple of days and um yeah other than that there's you know they'll, they'll install the control system in our own space and run pipes through the building just to get it in but the, the most intense work at least in my mind i don't know as a well digger what you think the hardest thing is you know maybe <laughs> it's like tying electrical wires but yeah. um to my mind drilling six 350 foot holes in the ground and getting water piped out of it seems the crazy part so that's already done which well, is well cool.
0: yeah one of my friends had geothermal geothermal and saw his house and i think he said they had like there's like one specific company, at least in the Frederick area, you want to use because it is difficult. And it's difficult.
1: Yeah, geothermal HVAC is, um, is a little bit of a different animal. Um, you usually wouldn't pull, be pulling water up. You'd basically like run a big heat exchanger through the ground. And in the winter, okay. you would put down cool air and it would heat back up in the ground and it would come out as warmer. And in summer, you'd be putting hot air in the ground and it would cool back down and come out cooler. So it kind of works in both seasons. Since we're only cooling... We can't do a system like that because eventually we would heat up the ground around our heat exchange, Uh, okay. and you would lose your heat exchange BTUs, which is why we need to actually bring the physical water up as kind of an endless supply of cold only.
0: But in in the scheme of what you're doing, it's definitely the cooling of your product that is way more energy intensive than the HVAC of your space. Which we don't
1: do. we we're gonna talk a lot of whiskey today, but we don't HVAC our space for the whiskey barrel aging process because the climate interactions with the barrel are very important to a whiskey's terroir and it kind of influences how the whiskey ages in a barrel. And we believe in whiskey being an expression of a place. So uh, it's very cold in the distillery in the winter and it's very hot in the summer. And the new space will be the same, although we expect maybe just by virtue of being in a space with other people that are HVACing that it might be a little more temperate, but certainly, uh, you know, over this winter on the, the really cold week where we had, um, I forget what that, the thing was off the coast that, that oh, yeah, the know, bomb cyclone, The bomb cyclone. We had, uh, two of our fermenters ice over. Oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> so, It it's cold. It was cold in there.
0: So yeah. Yeah. So I hope you threw Eli some blankets um, or is he just immune to it at this point? He's kind of like, like a husky, okay. you know, <laughs> he
1: just curls up, insulates himself with his own body heat.
0: That's convenient for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> So that and that was um I'm I'm still even the, the more I would learn about it like the whiskey aging process amazed by all the factors that can dramatically change the the taste and the smell that the whiskey pulls from the barrel and like what you just said one of them being not even just the constant temperature it's kept at but the fluctuations in temperature right. that it experiences
1: yeah it's funny um, the different different places around the world um, you know uh, Japan and Scotland and Kentucky and Ireland they'll all talk about their climate being so unique as to as to produce the world's best whiskey right so the in Kentucky there you know it's we've got very cold winters and very hot summers and that helps the the liquid in the barrel expand and contract and pull in and out of the wood and that's why we make the best whiskey in the world in Kentucky and in scotland it's oh well it's really cool here all year long on the islands so uh you know it gets to sit very still lets us you know age it very very long without it becoming over oaked and it's really this cool scottish climate that allows us to make the best whiskey in the world and it's it's, that's neither neither extreme is right um but they are right that it is a huge influence on their product so it's a it's always a factor in your production um but it, there's never nec- there's not necessarily a right or wrong climate to do it but it is going to affect the final product
0: Eli said he doesn't need any blankets so that's what you're I a Husky, said. yeah. yeah he's reconfirming what you said um when
1: people when Eli finally gets on the show people will be very interested <laughs> yeah. to meet this man
0: it's fun just to attribute things like I do to Graham he yeah. sits back there silent I can say anything I want about him and people just believe it Every once in a while, he'll yell over and, or glare at me like he just did, but or still. <laughs> um, now you can put turn it back up. Thank you. The um, but so if, if you're ever in a debate with those people, you could just laugh at them and say, That's great. We have those fluctuations in a week in Maryland, so <laughs> from morning to night. Yeah, exactly. In Maryland, it's the fluctuations from freezing to eighty degrees that
1: tell you what it was. A we had a couple of really warm weeks in February, where it had been very very cold the week before, and the, the really intense temperature changes like that that aren't seasonal. But a day later, we had we I had visible fog in the distillery over the winter <laughs> at some point, um, but the barrels go crazy i mean like trying to get a bung out when it's gotten really cold from hot and all every that's just like created this vacuum in the barrel that's sucking everything in um and then when it gets really really hot really quickly you see them kind of start sweating a lot more than they're used to anyway it's it's something and it's it's a very i mean it's not hypothetical if you're in there and it gets hot from a cold day you literally see things happening to your barrel
0: that's cool is there ever a wide enough fluctuation where it actually causes a problem
1: um i mean barrels are not perfect ever so we've developed um some coopering skills um so eli will go if on on days where it gets really hot certainly in the summer every now and then you'll find some leaks and go up there and have to repair them and use a little chisel to create a space and put a wood spile in there and stick it in and kind of close up the stuff so where there's a lot of maintenance, it's just kind of ongoing. One okay. of those things, it's like laundry, you know. Just but once just once they're
0: swelled up with product in, them, um, there's less likely that it's the, right. That, so when you get a dry barrel, when,
1: when you get a dry barrel, you you typically want to fill it up with water for 24 hours yeah. before putting whiskey in it, and then you put whiskey in it. And then when you first put water in it, you might see some really big leaks.
0: Oh, uh, when I uh, so I I had taken a bourbon making class and. Once I, I removed the bourbon from the little three liter barrel I had, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything with it. And then a few weeks later, I went to put um, something in it. it, it well, I, I was told to put water in it first. So, um, and it was it was around the same time I had taken McClintock's whiskey making class, and they had told us with theirs too, just to. Right to get them to swell back out to put water and i put them in those two it, like a little bit of a leak here and there but it swelled up pretty quickly right the, the bourbon barrel one i had because it had been sitting in my house for i don't know how many months i went to pour it in and i didn't look at it first it just everything just poured instantly right back out it had shrunk up so much yeah so that one i soaked in water and then it swelled up
1: we yeah we've experienced with a few different soaking methods but um I mean, we've tried to, we've like steamed barrels before and stuff, but yeah, the truth is even, even after they're swollen, you put whiskey in them, they're, they're good. Um, but then in a few months when it heats up, you'll go find some leaks in them as well. So um, yeah, normal, typical stuff. Even when we get, you know, we've gotten some used barrels from Heaven Hill Distillery and, and a few other distilleries. And if you look carefully over them, you'll see their fixes. Where are they? Okay. You'll see little spiles and stuff coming out where they had to go in and chisel. And I know, I think Buffalo Trace has uh, like hires part-time people to just wander around their uh rick houses and look for leaks they're just leak finders
0: have you talked to um free state cooperage at all yet uh we have absolutely um cool yep (laughs) are you are you playing are are we will certainly
1: especially when they start doing the maryland oak full-size maryland oak barrels um i can't imagine we won't do some project with that because
0: you you source a lot of your ingredients try to and from maryland right yeah maryland
1: my, and surrounding areas uh, all our rye grain comes from Thermont, and we get local apple juice for our brandy products and, yeah.
0: so i guess now you mentioned rye this is a good time to talk about talk right that's why i'm here everyone is um at least if the internets and social medias are accurate people are mm-hmm. looking forward to this
1: yes um a little worried that those are all russian trolls yeah have got this propaganda yeah, com- propaganda thing i've hired russia to hype up <laughs> our whiskey um no so uh we'll be
0: launching an investigation illusion <laughs> yes, this into is that. the
1: big the big frederick <laughs> news story that broke as the bwc has hired russian trolls to abuse twitter for their whiskey hype um so all right, so uh, I am very excited uh, to be here, not just because I love doing this, um, but we are officially announcing our whiskey release, which has been a long time coming. Uh, we are the oldest rye whiskey distillery in Baltimore. We've never had whiskey on the shelf because it's all been in barrels um, for a number of years. Uh, so I brought with me a full bottle of uh, epic straight rye. Baltimore Epic Straight Rye Whiskey. Uh, It's the first rye distilled in Baltimore in over 50 years. Um, It is a minimum of two years old when it's barreled, which makes it a straight rye. It's bottled at 100 proof. um, And it is fermented, distilled, and aged in our Baltimore distillery. Uh, Currently still the one on Sisson, soon to be Union Collective, which is about a mile away. So I'm very close. Um, And I've also brought the uh, whiskey that you have in front of you to do a little... The very first publicized tasting of the finished product, uh, Epic Rye.
0: So hopefully I like this, or at least lie about it.
1: One of the two. Uh, (laughs) I prefer the former.
0: Well, as I was commenting earlier, uh, during one of the first three tries uh, before we started recording, um, it smells amazing.
1: Yes, so we are really... I mean, we really couldn't be happier with the product. We when you when you make whiskey, you make a lot of decisions early, right? What's your mash bill? What kind of still are you gonna use? How long do you ferment? What kind of yeast do you use? And all these things and we obsessed over these details forever and at some point though you have to say, Okay, this is we how we this do is it. how <laughs> we do it. This is how we make our whiskey and you do it and it comes out and you can be happy with the white whiskey or not happy, whatever. You know, we we like our white, um, uh, but we were we were in general, we knew it was high quality, white spirit, like the, the actual production methodology was um, very tight and very detail oriented and, and we took a lot of care and we continue to take a lot of care making our products. Um, but until you start getting a little deeper into the aging, you don't really know what's gonna come out on the other side and whether the decisions you made produced a spirit that you were after. Um, so we always reserve the right to kind of tweak things on the way if, if we felt like we needed to. Um, but we are not. We are not doing that. We we really love our mash bill, um, and our the kind of the blend of yeast selections that we use. Uh, we really think we stumbled upon something really special. So I'm very excited for you to try it. But
0: um, but but yeah, I'm going to pull a radio stunt before we try it and take a quick break mm. to thank Roast House Pub for their continued support of the Uncap Podcast. Um, March twenty second, twenty seventh, not the second, twenty seventh. Um, there will be a Wardaka beer dinner, and you should definitely come out for a beer dinner sometime because they are amazing. And Wardaka makes amazing beer, so it would be a good opportunity too. Um, and also, everyone, keep your eyes open. I talked about this last week, I think maybe, but um, we'll be coming out with a Roast House VIPA, get it, IPA nice. card for uh, uncapped listeners, We will get uh, exclusive access and rewards for having that card. So once again, Roast House Pub, thank you for your support. So one quick, um, throughout the aging process, do you? I, mean, I assume you try it. We taste it
1: six months, one year, 18 months, uh, and then it's ready at two, or at least it's available for us to decide it's ready at two years.
0: So how difficult is it to control yourself, to not try it more often?
1: We don't control ourselves. <laughs> uh, we try them often. Um, right now we've got 70 full barrels of rye. Uh, so we, our current system, we're able to make three a month, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot. It's about 750 bottles, so it's actually a pretty good amount of whiskey, really, for at least for kind of a single market. It's enough to make an impact. Um, but at this point, we have 70 barrels, so thieving, thiefing a little bit, especially when you can, you kind of make a decision like, do I want to taste six month or one year, eighteen month today, and which ones haven't we tasted, and which ones do we want to do follow up notes on? Like, there's no shortage, like there's no need to control oneself. When it's just me and Eli and sometimes uh, Ian and and Eden, um, or kind of a guest of the distillery and we want to do a guest tasting notes and stuff. Um, There's enough whiskey up there on the shelf that there's just not much uh, reason to not try it.
0: I think we should try it. I think we should try it. Not only is this, this is the first time I've ever drank out of a Glencairn. Oh yeah? And then the first, I I have been apparently, and this is the first straight rye. That I believe I've ever had Ooh. not just Maryland straight rye I think that uh, straight straight rye, rye. yeah interesting because that has to by definition that has to be two years aged or older right yes yeah so yep. most of what I had is only ever Maryland spirits um I think maybe there was some in PA that I may have but I don't think okay. they were rye
1: interesting but you never had like Pikesville white label or
0: no okay All right.
1: Well, welcome to Rye Whiskey. Um, This is a super unique uh, mash bill and production process, right? We have a custom copper pot still that we help design so that the shape of your still always influences your spirit. Um, But a very unique mash bill. We use a very high malted rye content. um, And most rye whiskeys don't use malted rye at all. Uh, But we use a a pretty sizable chunk. um, And a lot of our production methods are um, kind of taken from the tradition of the Scottish and Japanese distillers. A lot of kind of where we make our cuts and how we do our fermentations. Um, so it really does have a a malt whiskey influence, even though malted barley and malted rye um, don't have the same profile. But malt is a very kind of distinct thing. So uh, very big tropical notes in there. You certainly get the vanilla, caramel, yeah. and classic rye spice, the kind of cumin, cinnamon notes. That is really good. Thank um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but we also get um, some really cool kind of uh, melon notes and uh, ripe bananas and some dark fruits, some cherry and plum. Um, so kind of a really nice fruity, uh,
0: bold, young high proof rye, which is cool. Yeah, it, it, even that that first uh, the first taste where you expect to get the most amount of burn and it's it's there. It's letting you know, but it's not it, it's not overpowering. But then. The subsequent tastes were just so smooth.
1: Yeah, it's really wonderful. Really cool, like maple syrup, um, honey on the palate. It's got legs, it's
0: oily, it's viscous. It's definitely viscous. It's like slowly slithers its way back down the mm-hmm. Graham was looking at it longingly. I was so thinking I, thought you know, I would share. <laughs> I want it back though. So that's epic uh,
1: straight rye, and we can't wait to get it out on the shelf. You know, there's something still very exciting in the whiskey world. You know, if you went to a liquor store 10 years ago, you know, maybe you'd find a rye whiskey or a couple of rye whiskeys on the shelf, right? Pretty rare rye whiskey 10 years ago. Um, Now you can go and there's probably a, a little rye section. There may be 20 brands on the shelf, but out of those 20 brands, you know, There may only be three or four distilleries really involved in them, and the majority of them are likely um, sourced rye, and most of the sourced rye in the world is is from a singular distillery, right? Um, So an actual new brand of rye that was distilled on a unique system that has a new mash bill that's done with a new yeast strain that uses kind of the, and then having a proper age to it is actually still a rare and exciting thing for a whiskey person to find on the shelf. So, yeah. um, having a really kind of new, fresh expression of rye um, that's kind of built from the ground up is still something to be excited about. So, we're really excited about getting it out there, and we think
0: and people uh, should be because this is is really really good.
1: It's the other end of the equation, right? It has to be good, and and we're we're lucky enough to, to have great whiskey coming out. So,
0: so how um how early in the aging process are you able to taste it and confidently say to yourself, okay, this is going to turn out. good."
1: Yeah. We were excited at six months. Um, we were, um, I'd say cautiously optimistic at a year and then the 18 month tasting, we, we just let it all, let all the emotion arise. (laughs) We kind of, we kind of knew at that point, um, that we had done it, so to speak. Um, yeah, there's an interesting barrel aging is interesting, right? Because there's there's a few things that that barrels do, and not all of it is intuitive. So the obvious stuff is that barrels give flavor. There's they're charred on the inside, and it kind of um, breaks all the oak down and lets it release all this all the vanillins and kind of vanilla and this oak astringency character into the whiskey. So you kind of by addition you are flavoring your white whiskey with vanilla and oak and all these kind of things that whiskey tastes like but there's the less intuitive side which is the barrel is bleeding acidity into the whiskey and once that acidity reaches this kind of uh, precipice and it it happens at about six months um, a chemical equation starts uh, ramping up you know the engine of this chemical equation starts going and and after and after a little while, after six months, then it's really happening. And what that chemical equation is doing is this kind of uh, acidity uh, is taking flavor compounds that came out in your white whiskey and and things that are produced by, uh, by the yeast, you know, your ester profiles and your lighter acids and alcohols and stuff. And they're actually taking these flavor compounds and changing them from one thing to a different thing. So if you ever get to taste some white whiskey next to its, you know, two to 10 year old version of itself Uh, it's not always obvious how one became the other. They just don't taste the same. It's not just, oh, it's this one, but with a lot of oak and vanilla. It's this entirely fundamentally, chemically different altered thing that isn't what it was at some point. And that kind of can only happen um, after you reach a certain point of aging, uh, which is kind of one of the things that influenced where where we wanted to to hit our mark in terms of age. um,
0: Yeah, because there are certain things you can do To speed up, like just that flavor transfer part of it, right? That chemical change that takes place—that there's really no time-driven. There's
1: just nothing, no replacing time in that one. You know.
0: So, would do you make that as a blend of the barrels, or is it all Um,
1: batch one, which uh, I will announce now uh, will be available March seventeenth. At the distillery will be the first uh, bottles available, um, will be single barrel expressions of the very first batch. So there were the very first batch of whiskey filled two barrels. Um, Those barrels will be emptied separately, bottled separately. uh, But those will be single barrel batch one expressions of epic rye. And those will be the kind of commemorative bottling. Um, of the first ride is still in baltimore in, in over half century, which we think is exciting and deserves a, a special bottling so um, That'll come out march 17th. We're going to having a little party. We'll have some food uh, We'll have um, a caterer down there making cocktails with some of our spirits, which will be cool um, I think we're gonna have some music um, All of the details, please check our facebook in the next uh, day or two and all of that will be up um, on facebook uh, And then moving on Uh, since we do about, you know, two to four barrels a month, uh, the subsequent releases, which is mostly typical of all whiskey will be blends of those barrels. So we're not sure whether we'll do quarterly releases and have it be a a larger pool of barrels or whether we'll do monthly releases. We'll probably play it by year a little bit in the first year or so.
0: So now you're at the point where this will just be one of your steady products. Yes.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if we sell out from time to time. Yeah. Um, but there's always going to be the next batch right around the corner. Awesome.
0: Do you, Do you have some that you're saving away to age longer, or would that really not explicitly the-
1: explicitly speaking, we don't have those barrels yet. Um, in since we only make you know three barrels a month, uh, a typical way to develop an older expression would be to withhold about ten percent of your barrels mm-hmm. every time you you're dumping barrels um, and age them up. But at three barrels a month, that's only like three and a half barrels a year. It's just not yeah. a, a substantial amount. It's not not kind of worth withholding the whiskey. Um, so in the new space, when we start making, you know, 12 to 20 barrels a month, um, then withholding barrels uh, will make a lot more sense because we can hold enough back to actually start having a stock of older stuff. So we'd love to do, you know, either a five or a six year and then out of that maybe one day we'll have a, a 10 year out there
0: so what would that do to that though because i like it
1: would be different so rye, right so interesting, not necessarily
0: better just different because right. like tasting that i don't see like it's like, not I'm, I'm definitely a novice when it comes to tasting whiskeys but like, i don't taste that and think like there's needs room more time. For, yeah right that, this this needs improvement i mean it it is really good so well that's
1: one of the cool things about rye um and this is why why we do a two-year straight rise. Uh, young rye is almost its own category. People talk about young rye as a young, bold, aggressive rye because okay. the rye grain still speaks. Um, it's not all covered up by the barrel. Uh, rye, to me, and I think I think it's fairly obvious um, to most palates, is that rye is a more interesting grain profile than corn, right? So corn uh, corn sugars, which are what you're fermenting in, in bourbon and corn whiskey, um, which I love bourbon and corn whiskey are not particularly interesting as a grain. Um, but rye has these awesome, you know, the pumpernickel flavors yeah. and the kind of rye spice cooking spice thing that people talk about when they drink rye. So having that be a little more expressive by keeping your, by doing a young rye, um, is a, is a product decision. It's not necessarily a, you know, we can't wait any longer yeah. thing. Um, kind of our personal taste. We think bourbon, um, is probably ready at four years and anything over can be great, right? Four to 20 doesn't matter, but, Kind of four years is a really nice, um, you know, top of the bell curve for, you know, what a four-year bourbon is kind of right in the pocket for the right amount of barrel character for us. And um, rye, uh, for us personally, we thought two years was top of the bell curve, and we really love those young, bold, high-proof ryes that really speak to the grain. Um, And then as you get older, the kind of profile between rye and bourbon come together a little bit because the barrel... Uh, In parts of, more imparts the, more and more and more so the kind of the flavor profiles grow together and become that old oaky astringent vanilla forward thing um and the rye, the rye and the corn both get kind of reeled back a little bit
0: yeah and i, I think i i would then probably prefer a young rye because i like that um the spicy rye flavor characteristics that are there like that's why yeah. I, that's why i like beer that's made with rye so I really hope that you and Union are working on some kind of thing to we are with I mean, your rye whiskey and rye baby. So we haven't done
1: explicitly speaking rye and rye baby, but there is a collaboration in a barrel of all of of Union and BWC already. Um, it's a project we affectionately refer to as Bort. Um. <laughs> I don't know if I talked to you about this no. last time I went off the air, but so uh, Union, essentially, we this is a project that goes way back among the the founders of BWC, the BORT project. Um, but you know how to make port, right? Port is uh, basically wine that's been topped up with brandy, and brandy is distilled wine, right? So it's kind of topped up with its own distilled essence in a barrel, and it kind of develops into this other thing, this fortified wine. Um, And you can do the same thing with apple brandy, uh, and apple brandy and cider, and that's pomo, and that's a lovely drink. Um, So we thought that there should be a beer version of it. So it's beer port. Um, So right now it's called bort. Not sure if we'll go live with that branding or not, (laughs) but we might because we really like talking about. You may
0: have created a whole new uh, a whole new genre. No,
1: this is a whole new thing, and we've already invented uh, mezcal style apple brandy and Pachuga apple brandy. Um, Not. Not without the whole tradition of Mezcal, of course. Um, but Bort is pretty fresh. So we uh, got the recipe for snow pants, brewed it, distilled it, and then brewed some more wort, topped up a barrel part of the way with the uh, with the wort, and then topped it up with the distilled snow pants. And it's been aging for, uh, I think it'll be two years in the fall.
0: Nice. And it's
1: been in there for a long time, and it's starting to get pretty good. And we did we did test batches of other beers really early on. That um, sold us on the idea as as real, um, so that that's in the works, and we would like to have a whole bort program. Talk about this, <laughs> talk about this in a hypothetical sense a lot in the new space about having our bort section with a bunch of different <laughs> beers. We can have our rye baby bort and our our snow pants bort. Um, anyway, pajama lots
0: pants good. would make a good bort too, I think. Pajama pants, smart. Yes, have that coffee roasty we were thinking about calling it hot pants
1: um (laughs) anyway yeah lots of bort we got we we feel like there's a lot of bort in the future and that people (laughs) will be drinking the bort i think
0: people will be clamoring clamoring for bort Bort.
1: can't get enough of this stuff
0: yeah yeah i mean so you talk about the excitement of a new um rye whiskey hitting the market a whole new category is Baltimore Whiskey Company is groundbreaking.
1: Yes. We're always pushing the the boundaries
0: <laughs> of what kind of alcohol can come out of a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The world
1: we may never have all the answers.
0: So you say um March 17th. March That's 17th
1: in... launch party for Epic Straight Rye at the distillery. Um we did pre-sell part of the first barrel 2 years ago. Uh, so those bottles will come up um for, for the people who had have already purchased them at the same time. Oh, that's um, St.
0: Patrick's Day.
1: Yeah, it is St. Patrick's Day. Been. So it'll be 1 to 5. The party will be 1 to 5. Um, so kind of daytime pre-going out St. Patrick's Day. If you all want to come by, have a cocktail, uh, try some whiskey again, pick up a bottle. There will be limited bottles available. Um, but even if we sell out, we'll make sure we hold some back so everyone gets to try it and at least await the next
0: release, which would be cool. How many bottles? Or you don't know yet until don't you Don't know
1: until we actually physically empty the, bo- the barrels, which we haven't. Um, we're guessing um, 100 to
0: 150
1: extra bottles in there. Tough to say.
0: Uh, over the course of two years, how much do you lose? We will start knowing that okay. soon.
1: Yeah. Um, climate dependent, right? If it's a humid climate, you tend to lose alcohol to the air versus water if it's really dry a lot of times the water will come out first so your proof in the barrel goes up as the volume goes down our volume goes down and our proof goes down Um, and we just once we've emptied say 10 barrels we'll have a better understanding of our own company's equation based on our climate
0: which will then change again after you a little bit but but presumably
1: not 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 really all that much because we'll still we still won't be HVACing. You know, we'll we'll have a ceiling fan and a wall fan um, just to keep some, some air movement in there yeah. in the summer so we're a little bit more comfortable in the space than in the kind of the hot box that is BWC. Um, but it ought to be pretty similar.
0: If I remember correctly, you only use 55. 53. Not, 53. Yep. Okay. You like the
1: big ones. We like the big ones. Yeah, that's uh, for us um, to age it for a full two years. It's hard not to get over-oaked. With the smaller barrels,
0: yeah, because uh, that that's where the um, because that does the, imply more oak. Yeah, quickly. where the, right. the the ways that you can speed up the flavoring process, but right. not the chemical process. Yep. cool. <clears throat> so, um, maybe not quite as exciting as the rye whiskey, but you do I have some other stuff for us to try. And I do. Talk about. I brought
1: um, uh, brought a bonus bottle. Um. Do you want your own glass of this? Okay. Uh, so I, 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 I remembered, um, I didn't think we did this last time. This is a distillery only bottle. So it doesn't make it out of the distillery very often. It's kind of a homebody. But I thought one thing to taste wasn't enough. Uh, so this is the green is gold apple
0: brandy so why is it uh, distillery only? Um, here, you can check this out if you want.
1: It's, uh, it's just something we bottle once a year. So we only made 250 of those bottles this year, and we sell them until they're sold out. And then next year, we'll do another. But it's a very cool product. It's actually, it's kind of a very small Solera system. And in a Solera system, you never empty a barrel entirely. So say you had a line of five barrels, and you barreled af- out of the oldest one, you'd take half the barrel out, and then from barrel four, you'd move half that barrel to top up barrel five, and barrel three, you'd do that in barrel two, and you kind of move everything down the line, and then you top up the the newest barrel with new make, right? And you always barrel out of the old one. Um, And then really big systems, you can kind of barrel out of whatever you want, but you always kind of fill upwards. Um, So we started this kind of very small, uh, it's a three barrel Solera now, with two rye whiskey barrels, used rye whiskey barrels at the front, and then a French oak port barrel um, as the finishing barrel. So this not to be
0: confused with Bort,
1: not to be confused with Bort. This is uh, a, <laughs> a rare fortified wine, um, a French Oak port barrel. Uh, so this is a, this is almost actually two years old at this point. Um, Apple brandy, a, we love Apple brandy as a, as a company, but Apple brandy has a really long history in, america as well older than rye whiskey before rye whiskey people were drinking rum and apple brandy it was really one of the very first spirits distilled um, in america so it's apple country there's a lot of history that we are partaking in by doing apple brandy at all it also flavor profile wise is not all that dissimilar to whiskey right it's it's defined the barrel character is a big part of it um you still get a lot of apple character in there but it is kind of a Caramel vanilla sipping spirit Yeah, um, that is not unlike sipping on a whiskey, just has this kind of fruit character to it. Um, So this is about two years old. I think this one's about 23 months. It was really very close to being a a two-year-old proper, Um, but really nice. And we think it's a a very, very strong example of American apple brandy, uh, which is a pretty fun thing to be doing.
0: That also is really good. I like that. Do you want to try some, Graham? Yeah.
1: The tiniest bit of extra sweetness from the port on there. You get some, like, great bubblegum flavors. Um, Some tannic apple peel stuff. Um, That's definitely – I was
0: picking that up, definitely. I'm horrible at tasting things and discerning – like the individual tastes other than it's it's a lifelong um, project unless it's like a slap you in the face right days because it's often like fireball
1: this there's i get a little cinnamon in
0: there yeah it's like i listen to some people describe what a beer tastes like or a whiskey or something like you're so full of it it doesn't (laughs) now you're just saying words some of them are
1: you know you hear people being like you know it tastes like fresh cut grass yes. in the spring <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: when it's been raining the day before. there's like, <laughs> you know a lot about the different kinds of grass you're smelling.
0: Um,
1: and there's some, there's just kind of come tr- some truth and in, in some, you know, floral uh, language used in the thing. But I will say that you get better at tasting as you t- devote effort to it. Um, picking out notes, we still... Every time we do a barrel taste at six months, one year, 18 months, we record the tasting notes. We go through them, and we, we don't talk about them, and then we go through them, and we've started to match notes better as we've gotten better at nosing and tasting. And part of that's just understanding our own spirits.
0: But yeah, definitely pick up the, the added sweetness. It doesn't have that that spicy. Right. Spicy There's no sugar, and-
1: but the kind of being ate, finished in the port barrel, like a Sherried Scotch, pulls just that... Um, the fortified wine sweetness a little bit and french oak just imparts a
0: really nice uh, note in there so is um was apple brandy is that because of the abundance of apples and then the high sugar content that apples have that they were uh, they it's would easily be fermentable
1: in? right people have been fermenting apple juice forever um that's a bit of an exaggeration but You get the idea, yeah. It's like wine, right? Of course they're distilling wine into brandy because there's so much wine and there's grapes and people grow them and they drink them. Um, And yeah, people were growing growing apples. Uh, Johnny Appleseed was actually traveling the colonies teaching people to grow apples so that they could make apple brandy. It was not to eat apples because they are good for you. That is the kindergarten version of the story. (laughs) Highly recommend everybody uh, go Wikipedia Johnny Appleseed. Read up on this weird man. Get woke, people. Get woke. He never wore shoes. (laughs) Weird guy.
0: Just walked around drunk, trying to get people to to
1: grow more, uh, make more brandy. (laughs) Yeah. American hero.
0: (laughs) The um, I, I think. We may have talked about it the last time I was here, but I don't think we touched uh, – we didn't touch on this time, like, the history of rye making in Maryland. It goes back. I, yeah, it, I that was one of the things I, I was really interested to learn when I did, that Maryland was one of the largest producers before Prohibition of um, – Yeah, and post-Prohibition. Of, of rye whiskey.
1: Yeah. Um, afterwards as well, yeah, I think um, <clears throat> if I recall right – Pennsylvania made more proof gallons at the peak and Maryland had more distilleries at the peak. So Maryland and Pennsylvania are, we are the cradle of rye whiskey um, without a doubt. And that's why there's kind of two distinct styles of rye. Okay, there's infinite styles of rye, but named styles of rye, uh, there are primarily two uh, types of rye that people talk about um, as kind of the the classic styles, which would be Pennsylvania style rye, also known as Monagahela, um, which is a high rye content, usually, you know, 90 plus 95.
0: Monongahela. No, not Gila. Monongahela. Monongahela. I mean, it probably is properly pronounced Monongahela, but if you live in Monongahela or in that surrounding area, you're going to call it Monongahela. Okay. Um, Because we pronounce everything wrong. (laughs) I'm from, I'm from that area. (laughs) All
1: right. Um, I've said that word out loud a lot. Nobody's ever corrected me. Of well, course, everyone you in must be your life—you must be correcting people.
0: That's—that's that's actually the first time I've ever heard every, someone say hmm. it. All right. Well,
1: outside
0: um, of people in that area, that would like right—they're—they're th- they're getting it right. Like yeah. Dale Carnegie, apparently the like the or um, Andrew Carnegie was huge in Pittsburgh. But then there's like the. like betterment classes that Dale Carnegie does. Apparently though, Carnegie is not pronounced Carnegie. It's car Carnegie, Carnegie, like Carnegie hall. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, if you're in Pittsburgh where Carnegie was from, it's Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. So that means it's right because it's, (laughs) he was from there and we'll say it however
1: we want. Uh, I'm willing, I'm willing to roll with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Pennsylvania rye would be high rye content, 95% rye, 5% malted barley, pretty typical, um, and then Maryland style rye, is typically a high corn content rye. So fifty one percent rye, mostly the rest corn, with a little bit of malted barley in there to give you the chemical stuff you need for the mash. Um, and those are the two primary styles. But during the peak of rye whiskey making, there would have been uh, both styles of rye made in most states, as well as infinite other styles of rye because Just people different wanted to do stuff. stuff. People were still creative, and you know, in eighteen fifty. So. Um, so people just wanted to do everything. So there was a lot of rye whiskey out there historically, uh, but Maryland and Pennsylvania styles are, that's kind of when people talk about them now, they're they're referring to those two mash bills.
0: Um, now, were those differences based on crops grown in those areas or was it purely just a flavor preference? Um,
1: my historical understanding, I would, I would say it's incomplete in that respect. I don't okay. think that it was especially based on the crops that there was corn in Maryland and there wasn't in Pennsylvania, um, they're close enough also to where I'd think if someone wanted corn in Pennsylvania, they'd just
0: go get some corn. And
1: yeah. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily an availability thing. Maybe if you go way, way back before there was travel infrastructure, maybe you could get there. Um, but like I said, rye wasn't really the first thing that they were making. The first things they were drinking in the colonies was uh, rum from the Caribbean and uh, apple brandy. And then there was an embargo on the Caribbean where you couldn't get sugar and you couldn't get rum. And so we had all these people who drank a lot of hard liquor and they looked at the Irish and the Scottish, Scottish settlers and they were like, what is that Let's you're do drinking? Let's drink some of that. And so the Irish and the Scottish taught everybody how to make uh, this grain spirit that they had been making because they brought the tradition over from Ireland to Scotland. Um, and rye was the cover crop. Uh, so that was the available grain. And that's what they brought over.
0: So if, if there's any lesson to be learned that if people want to uh, drink alcohol, they're going to find a way to. I, th- I think we we've learned re- that many are, times in history. Re- there's some very resourceful distinct... species. Yeah. You know,
1: I recall <laughs> there's something in the 20s about people drinking alcohol yeah. when they weren't supposed to. I'm not... Yeah.
0: So we talked yeah. a little bit about... Do y'all you know, um,
1: you, you talk about uh, Maryland's history in Prohibition? No. Uh, have y'all ever never, gotten into that? No, we haven't. Do so you know why Maryland's called the Free State?
0: Oh, you know what? I learned... I, had a vague teaching of that recently, so I don't remember any details. So, so drop some knowledge on us.
1: When uh, prohibition passed as a as national law, uh, forty nine states passed statewide prohibition laws as well, which enabled their own personal law enforcement agencies and city law enforcement to uh, enforce prohibition. So every state had a state level prohibition at the same time, except for Maryland. And the Maryland uh, legislature and governor were very clear. They said, "We're not going to enforce this law. <laughs> it's dumb. If the feds want to come here and bust people, then hey, you know what? That's the law. You guys can do it. But our our police officers and our infrastructure will not be used to enforce prohibition at all. Which is why uh, Baltimore was known as the wet city. So if you you'll see things oh, branded wet yeah, city. I uh, I've wet always city. wondered that yeah. why there was so much um, wet city as opposed stuff. to dry county, right? So the the United States was dry." Baltimore was wet, nice a wet city and Maryland was the free state uh, because it was our cultural history. We had all the massive German and Irish settlers who didn't just drink for um, inebriation's sake. it was part of their culture. Yeah. You know Germans were having beer for breakfast. they you know they would work on the farm and beer was a big part of their caloric intake and it kind of went back way further than the Maryland state thought we should be severing this cultural tie to their you know their European history. Um, so there's kind of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of alcohol history, um, local to Maryland and, in and in Baltimore, but that's where there are some very famous speakeasies and bootleggers and uh, a lot of the kind of bootlegging culture. A lot of it ran through Baltimore and out of Baltimore because there was less, um, there was no regulation on the statewide level, but also, you know, it was just the feds and they were working without cooperation of local law enforcement. So it's
0: good. I'm semi ashamed to myself for not knowing that it's
1: a, it's a pretty cool little part of, um. Maryland history. Yeah.
0: So did did Maryland ever pass laws to enforce it, or that nope. the, the we whole time? Just, the just whole slain? time,
1: we were just the we were the free state. That's what we did. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I wonder. So I wonder if that meant within Maryland there was a lot less of um, people being arrested, or, or yeah. did the feds enforce the feds in would the feds than...
1: definitely were in Baltimore and would try and catch bootleggers, and and if they kind of uh, there are certainly stories where they. They had to use local law enforcement, but they had it was all their impetus, right? Uh, there wasn't a local level enforcement of anything, so um, there was. I think there was. I don't know if there was less arrest because I think there was more crime. Is the thing okay. is that this was so, a really natural place for all the bootleggers to, yeah. to be because they had to contend less with the local law enforcement than other places. So I'm sure the feds had a really big presence. But there's some really great. Um, you know, kind of forgive me for glancing at my phone, but there's a. I have this. Uh, there's a great headline from Prohibition. Um, how do I look at my own tweets?
0: It's so weird to think okay. that that they like that at a time that there was enough people who were against drinking that it was completely outlawed. It's yeah. um
1: the story of it is great. Everybody should read about it. It was the, it's a it's a really crazy movement that was backed kind of. It was a huge win. It kind of created the modern lobbying system. The person who got prohibition supported and passed, uh, basically all modern lobbying uh, agencies and lobbyists model that model after him. He invented this way of getting politicians as groups together to support things by kind of Huh. the art of hit that lobbyist deal and he invented it and he did it very very well and he got very famous for it so he's um, the thank for a bunch of horrible a bunch things. of horrible things yeah <laughs> including prohibition um uh, there's a great so this is a headline um from from prohibition uh mob in baltimore attacks dry agents crowd of 500 wields axes on autos and hurls bricks at 16 federal men on raid
0: I mean, that could have been last week, though.
1: True. Well, uh, Baltimore has another name, which is Mobtown, yeah. and it was given the the name Mobtown, I, I believe, by the Baltimore Sun um, in like the eighteen hundreds because Baltimoreans were so quick to form mobs um, and and riot. You know, there's like stories of you know the banker closed the bank and screwed all of these people. So they formed a mob and tore the front of his house off. You know, and it's like I mean, there's just a million stories, but that's that's where the the name Mobtown comes from. Nice. Um, so. Yeah, the storied history, of Baltimore, Free State, Wet City, mob town, and it all—it all, it all kind of has great stories behind it. Um, but this particular story it was like two—it was like bootleggers loading up two trucks, and feds tried to bust them, and then all of a sudden there were five hundred Baltimoreans <laughs> the hurling bricks, trying like, to oh, trying no, to help them don't. get away. <laughs> exactly.
0: Oh, that's hilarious! It's so. Um, do you have anything else you want to tell us about?
1: Um, man that's a that's about it um please come try our whiskey uh we're really excited to finally get it out um we we feel like we took the long road we really do our best not to kind of cut corners and and we really want to do special products and we just can't wait for people to try the whiskey so march 17th um from 1 p.m to 5 p.m we will be tasting we'll be selling the bottles that are available there'll be food there'll be cocktails with our other spirits um hopefully the weather cooperates cooperates but it doesn't matter we'll be there if it doesn't we're just going to be there we're gonna be selling our whiskey um and we're and super people, excited about people it
0: people should definitely go try it is amazing so w- will it go into distribution too or will you only be able to i mean obviously it will, it will eventually batch, so uh
1: the first batch is distillery only um the second batch we're going to send some to distribution because we've got um accounts that have really supported us that we you know have promised bottles to and they've supported us for the for the the, yeah. uh,
0: the years past. Um, Are and any also of those counts ones that will make it into Frederick? Plausibly. Okay, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Just plan um, on if I have to take a road trip. Or yeah, we should either <laughs> way.
1: Um, and then once we're in the Union Collective and we're bottling whiskey regularly, um, we, will, we will keep as much at the distillery as we need to fill the need. And we do expect a lot of foot traffic at the Union Collective. Um, so we'd really like to supply most of it through the distillery. Um, so kind of how much goes out for distribution is is a number we don't know yet because we don't know how much leftover yeah. we will have. And we'd love to have some on the market, but um – we also we really love people coming to the distillery. We love to be able to lead people through the notes. And for the first two years, there's just a limited amount of it because I can tell you exactly how much of it there is for the yeah. first two years because we've already made it. Um, after we scale up production, then we should really be able to give anybody who wants it, uh, both at the distillery and in the market and plausibly you know, in D.C. or Pennsylvania, kind of another market or two um, in a couple of years from now when it's scaled up. But for the first couple of years, it's going to be um, these very small batches we've been able to make. Um, But full-size barrels, straight rye whiskey, made in Baltimore. Pretty cool.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So a couple – I I forgot to mention in the beginning, uh, coming up, we have the second annual Frederick Craft Spirits Festival that I hope to see you guys at again. We'll be there. This time it'll be indoors, so uh, we won't get drenched on in cold weather. Uh, It's Saturday, April 21st at the Frederick Fairgrounds from 2 to 6 p.m., Tickets will be on sale soon at uh, frederickspiritsfestival.com. And coming up, we also have some great shows that I want to talk about. Uh, we'll be releasing later this week an episode recorded with Hugh Sisson of Heavy Seas. Uh, then on Friday, Graham and I are heading back to the same area, and I get to interview the brewmaster for Guinness's U.S. Baltimore Ooh. Uh this uh brewery, which I'm excited about because I've been trying to uh get this interview scheduled for I don't even know how long now. Choose some Guinness Bort.
1: Bring it up. Yeah,
0: I'll yeah. I'll pitch it to him. Okay. <laughs> there's this there's this new craze that's about you could get on the cutting edge. <laughs> Although I don't want to bring it, hey, you don't know I don't know if I want to bring that up to Diageo, though. They may try to steal the Bort train. <clears throat> they might just try and buy us. All right, I'll bring it up to them if you yeah. want then. Just bring it up. <laughs> Um, and I think that episode, what it won't be a live one, we'll re- release that on St. Patrick's Day because it just seems silly not to.
1: Yeah, cool.
0: Um, and we got some other great things coming up, but just keep your eyes open and thank you for coming out. My thank pleasure, you for, Thank uh, you for having me. Giving us the first public uh, taste of Epic, it was a f- apt choice of a name. Thank you. Um, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers.